0: we in Daniel chapter 2 verses 31 through 49, God's dream for the ages, part 2. If you would stand for reading of God's word. We honor God by standing when we read his word. You, O king, were watching and behold a great image. The great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you and its form was awesome. This image head was of fine gold, its chest and his arms of silver. Its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron and the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over all of them. You are this head of gold. But after you shall rise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw, iron mixed with ceramic clay. They will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all other kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, The great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly, your God is the God of gods and Lord of kings, a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel, gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and the chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also Daniel petitioned the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. This is the word of God. Please be seated. God's Dream for the Ages, Part 2. As you know, the theme of Daniel is this. God is sovereign over nations. God is sovereign over rulers. God is sovereign over your life. God is in charge. Remember that Daniel was taken captive at age 14. And there was a massive indoctrination of him and about 50 to 75 other young men into the Babylonian Empire. They changed their language. They gave them literature that was just Babylonian literature. They changed their names from Hebrew God names to Babylonian God names. The the indoctrination was all out. Uh, Daniel and three of his friends resisted the indoctrination. And the way that they did this is the following. They resisted indoctrination. It's the same thing that we do today. They purposed in their heart not to partake of the king's delicacies, not to defile themselves with the king's delicacies. They purposed in their heart before anything started in their lives. They purposed that we are not going to be contaminated by this culture. And they weren't. They stood out. Daniel and his friends stood head and shoulders above all the others in wisdom and understanding. And at the end of three years, they went before the king. In chapter 1, verse 20, they stood head and shoulders above all the other captives that were indoctrinated and all of the occult advisors that were in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. All the magicians, the astrologers, and all of his realm, they stood head and shoulders above all of those guys because they resisted indoctrination and a God of heaven was with them. Now, last week, Nebuchadnezzar is being introduced to the God of heaven with a dream, and it is a strange dream that he has. The No occult advisors could interpret the dream. Nothing from the demonic realm could interpret the dream. The excuses started to fly, and remember... It, The excuses started to fly, and they made several excuses, but I want to suggest something to you. All of the occult advisors couldn't interpret the dream because this was a God dream. Remember, when you're dealing with the occult, all the astrology, all of the tarot cards, all of the uh, palm readers, all of the Gene Dixons, all of the... Uh, New Island media. These people have fragmented knowledge because they're getting information from the demonic realm. The demonic realm doesn't know everything that's going on. They're extrapolating from what they have seen and trying to make a determination of what will happen in the future. So they give you information, but it is not full information. So these guys started making up excuses. No man can do this King Nebuchadnezzar. Nobody can interpret this dream without you telling us the dream. No king has ever asked this before. No one can answer except the gods, small g-o-d-s. And they are correct because in verse 28 it says, there's a God in heaven who reveals secrets and mysteries. The true God will reveal the truth. Not your little bitty gods, not your false gods. Nebuchadnezzar in a fit of rage in verse 12 orders the orders the slaughter of all the wise men. And then Ariok, I don't know if you remember this guy's name, he's captain of the guard. And when you look up in the, in the... Hebrew, the, the guard, the guard, it means that he was, the, he was called the butcherer, the slaughterer, and he shows up at Daniel's house un, unannounced, unannounced, in verses 14 through 19 last week. And he makes several remarks. Daniel responds to Ariok several different ways. Daniel, first of all, completely caught off guard. It says that he had counsel and wisdom with Ariok, the butcherer. Daniel knew that something was up, that something bad was out there. He was ta- that means he was tactful, and that word wisdom, he was in command of his faculties. And I would suggest to you, only God can give you that type of posture in the face of that type of opposition. And Daniel had God's strength going into this. And then Ariok, amazingly, he's going there to kill Daniel and his friends, pauses and listens to this 17-year-old teenager. He listens to him. And he takes a pause. He tells Ariok, let me speak to the king. And then Daniel, in chapter 2, verse 16, boldly approaches this Babylonian king, who no one can just come into his presence at any time, unannounced. But Daniel did, and God gave him favor. It was another God moment. And then Daniel tells the king with confidence that the interpretation will be forthcoming. And then Daniel has a night vision that God gives him in secret, only God is involved in every one of these things. Only God can do this. And then Daniel tells the king, by the way, God has given me interpretation. He tells the king, your occult advisors in chapter 2, verse 27, could not help you. Only the God of heaven can help you. Nebuchadnezzar is learning something, folks, and hopefully we're learning something about the true God. The true God of heaven who truly rules. Your little gods, your little Elohims, your little gods, Nebuchadnezzar, they can't help you. This week, God's dream for the ages, part two. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to study the inerrant word of God. And Lord, we ask you to speak to each one of our hearts today things that you want us to hear out of this lesson. We've all come here from different backgrounds, different places in our lives, different situations. And Lord, you are the one that speaks to each one of us right in our area of need. May we hear from you today truths that you want us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So just a, as a matter of introduction, remember this. This is important. God is making known to Nebuchadnezzar and to us today what will take place in the future. God is telling us what is going to God expects us to know what's going to happen into the future. He holds us responsible for that. We need to be ready. We need to have a clue for what's coming on the horizon. And that's why we study Bible prophecy. That's why we're studying Daniel. When we get done with this, we'll go into Revelation. We want to know what's coming. And I want to suggest to you something. The world is being set up for a one-world government, a one-world government. You see this being put into place all around us. Please note, globalism is a a striving towards a one-world government. Our open border situation, expelling God from the culture is imperative to have a one world government. Now, please hear this. The reason that humanity is going towards a one world government is that in their thinking, it's the only thing that is going to save the world. It's the only thing that's going to save the world because they've taken God out of the equation. And so we're going to solve this problem our own way and have a one world government. So you take God out. Now, God set up borders. He is the one that set up borders in Deuteronomy 32.8. He is the one that says there's borders in Acts 17.26. He sets up borders. Why does he set up borders? Because he knows the depravity of man that cannot rule globally. The depravity of man is so great we can't give it over to them. It started at the Tower of Babel when mankind wanted to rule and they made ziggurats to worship the, the small gods of uh, of the demonic realm. And God says, no, you can't do that. And he, dis- he distributed their... He distributed them throughout the rest of the world and confused their language and made them inhabit the earth and have boundaries. So God being kicked out of the culture, the family as God has designed it as being impugned. One man and one woman for life. changed anything that man desires. See, man is at the top of the food chain, not God. We've kicked God out. That's the tragedy of the whole thing killing babies for convenience, a world in abject turmoil with no one having answers to the massive problems of Earth. Now, you hear every day about global warming. Global warming. Oh, that's been actually changed now to climate change. Have you noticed that? Because now global warming is kind of fuzzy. Don't know whether that's really happening. It doesn't matter if it's happening or not. It's what's, it's what's uniting humans in this, in this effort to have a one world government a one-world government. That's the battle cry. Unite the world to fight for the survival of the world. These are all setups for the one-world ruler, the Antichrist. He's He's called the Antichrist, the beast in Scripture, the lawless one, the man of sin, the son of perdition, who will come on the scene with all the answers. He will be glowingly brilliant. He'll be a great military leader. He'll be a great orator. And he'll win the hearts of the majority of people. He will, he will come with, 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 with great lies. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, don't have to turn there because I'm going to go through this very quickly. 2 verse 9 says this, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. Now the lawless one is the Antichrist, the working, the energia of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders. This guy is going to do miracles like you can't believe. There are so many people that are the signs and wonders. Be very careful with the signs and wonders. Because this guy is coming on the scene that's going to blow blow the minds of most people. And with all unrighteous deception, remember Matthew 24, several times Jesus says, don't be deceived, don't be deceived, don't be deceived. And then now Paul is telling us, with this unrighteous deception among those who perish, notice who is deceived, those who perish are the ones who deceive. Why? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. They resisted the gospel. They resisted the gospel. They resisted the gospel. They resisted the true Jesus. And they fall for this false Jesus, this antichrist, this instead of Jesus, this impersonation of Jesus. And they fall for the lies because they did not receive the real Jesus. And they end up being condemned. That is what's coming, folks. A one-world government that will eventually be led, you're going to see later on, by an antichrist. That's on the horizon. As far as Nebuchadnezzar goes, any king would want to know what happens to his kingdom in the future. He who reveals secrets, who reveals mysteries, will give Nebuchadnezzar a heads up on what is coming and us a heads up on what is coming. This week, Daniel proceeds with the interpretation of the dream of the ages in verse 31 through 35. Notice how fallen man views himself with this beautiful, ornate statue of, of, of these kingdoms. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. Notice it's a great image to humanity. This great image had splendor, was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image head was of fine gold, that was Babylon. Its chest and arms of silver is a following kingdom, Persia. Its belly and thighs of bronze, that is the Greece, and the legs of iron would be Rome, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watch while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet, feet of iron and clay, and broke them in pieces. Then the iron and the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed together and became like chaff and were, were, were from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away to the, so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now what in the world does all of this mean? I'm going to try to elucidate and make this clear. First of all, in verse 31, the statue to humanity is with splendor. It is awesome. And notice, uh, please, humans have such hubris, such arrogance. How great we are. How great we are. God is great. We are not great. It's important to remember these kingdoms rise and fall. And it's important to remember that Daniel is predicting these rise and falls way before these kingdoms came into place. More on that in just a second. Now think about how man views himself with grandeur, awesome, hubris, arrogance. But God's view is very, very different, which we will see in the future. In Daniel chapter 7, he he views these kingdoms as beasts. Beasts. All these world kingdoms he views as beasts. Quite different. Tony Garland says this, he terms this the deification of man. That means making man God. Okay, that's what he's talking about here. Now, when, where do you think this started? The deification of man. Well, it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 in the garden, when, when, when Satan came to Eve, with Adam right by her side, by the way, and tempted them with the forbidden fruit. And he says this, Satan to Eve, you will be like God. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan's offer to Eve to be like God, knowing good and evil, was a reflection of his own insane ambition. He is the master of arrogance. Satan is the master of hubris. And in that, he tempted mankind to be like God. The deification of man. That man is greater than what he really is. Tony Garland goes on to say this, what's really happening. Thus began the millennia-long struggle of the usurped dominion and self-elevation by the God of this age and representatives of his choosing. That's the humans that are falling for his schemes. The result of self-deification is this. Hear this. Scripture reveals that degeneracy reaches such a degree that instead of reflecting his unique created stature in the image of God, speaking of man, He descends to the level of the beast over which he was to rule. Thus man's imagined ascent towards deity works out to be his descent into increasing beastly behavior. What do you see with humanity? You think we're elevating? You think we're getting better as as, as time goes on? Look around. Look around. How do beasts act? Well, they're lawless. No one, you ever hear this, no one's going to rule over me. No one's going to tell me what to do. I'm the captain of my soul. I'm the captain of my life. I determine my destiny. Oh, no, you don't. Oh, no, you don't. Hopefully, we'll we'll learn that we don't do this. The deification of man results in unimaginable depravity. And please don't miss this. Never forget this. The statue represents kingdoms present present at the time of, of Daniel and future controlled by the God of this age, Satan. Every kingdom that is established on this earth is controlled by Satan. Most people don't know that. Most people are unaware of that. It's it's not broadcast out there, but that's what the Scripture says. And there will be a point in the future where a stone will crush the final satanic, humanistic kingdom. Verse 34 and 35 says this, you watch while a stone was cut out. This is speaking of Jesus. A stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image at its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed like together and became like chafed from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. That's what the stone is going to do. It's going to crush this final empire that we're going to get to in just a second. And Jesus is going to come and set up his kingdom on earth. Now I have a picture here. A picture of the stone. Now this is the, how man views himself. This is Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. Please note that Rome has two divisions. We're going to be talking about that later. And Rome also has ten toes. Two feet, ten toes. And this kingdom, this last kingdom will be crushed, and this whole humanistic, demonic kingdoms of this world will go flashing down and become like chafe, blown about by the wind. More on that in just a second. More on that in just a second. So that's kind of a picture of, of, of what Nebuchadnezzar might have seen. And a great mountain filled the whole earth. Again, this is Jesus' final kingdom. It's cut without hands, it says in verse 34 and 35. There's no human involvement with this. This is God doing this. God doing it. And they become crushed together as the stone crushes the feet. Jesus crushes Antichrist's kingdom. These ten toes will eventually be taken over by Antichrist when he establishes his kingdom. There will be more on this in just a second. This stone, the Lord Jesus, will come back and crush this kingdom. That's an important thing to remember. And it will become like chafe. Jesus crushes Antichrist's kingdom, and it becomes like chafe. There will be no other human kingdoms that will ever reign again once Jesus establishes his kingdom. There will be not a trace to contaminate Jesus' messianic kingdom once it is established. Now, a closer look at the image. A closer look at the image. Arnold Fruchtenbaum says this. He observes that the metals increase in strength, but second, they decrease in value. These kingdoms become stronger, but less valuable, less valuable as they are established. So just keep that thought in mind. He goes on to say this, that Babylon was an absolute monarchy. He had, the monarchy was above the law. Whatever Nebuchadnezzar said, he had to do. But Persia was a monarchy, but it was; it had to keep the laws, and the Persians couldn't. The Persian king couldn't change the laws. Greece was a whole different thing. They had no dynastic or royal right to rule by force, but they ruled by force and conquest. And then Roman imperialism was this. I hear about Rome, and it's important to remember about Rome because we are still living under the Roman part of this statue. Roman imperialism was a republic which degenerated into mob rule, merging with the imperial imperial form of government. Yet there was an increase in strength of one empire over another. Now, what is imperialism? Imperialism is defined as this. It's a policy of a nation extending its power by diplomacy or military force. What have we seen in the past history? Well, Rome has certainly done this. Germany tried to do it in World War II. Japan tried to do this in World War II. So it's very common that that nations try to do this, imperialism. So God's dream for the ages. Now, verse 36 through 43 are going to clarify what these kingdoms are. Okay? So verse 36 through 43. This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, and the birds of heaven, he has given them into your hand. He's the only king that was given total dominion of the earth. Nebuchadnezzar, he's the only one. And has made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. But after you shall rise another kingdom, inferior to yours, that will be Persia. That was the next kingdom that came about. Then another, a third, Greece, a kingdom of bronze, and shall rule over the earth. And a fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron. This is Rome. This is Rome. Inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, and that's what Rome did. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break into pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. That's going to be the ten-nation confederation that will come. More on that in a second. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. Why is it going to be partly fragile? Next verse. As you saw, iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seeds of men. They're going to set these kingdoms up, and they're going to be mixing them up with different people groups that won't meld well together. They won't stick well together. But they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with the clay. Let's develop this. First of all, Nebuchadnezzar is the greatest earthly king ever. He is called the king of kings. Now, that title is for Jesus, okay? He indeed is the king of kings, but Scripture calls him the king of kings. Ezekiel 26.7 says this, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will bring against Tyre from the north, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, king of kings. The highest earthly king that ever reigned. Babylon was followed by Medo-Persia, then by Greece, and then by Rome. And again, why is Nebuchadnezzar king of kings? because God gave him dominion over all the earth, which none of these others were given that same same promise. You can go as far as you want to go, Nebuchadnezzar. He stopped where he felt like stopping. He could have kept going. All the world was given to him. Tony Garland says this about King of Kings. This phrase designates the highest ruling authority on earth. Not just any king, but the king among all kings. Now the tension here is that promise of a king reigning on this earth was given to David in the Davidic realm, the throne of David. I have found my servant David, he says in Psalm 20, 89, 20. With my holy oil I have anointed him. I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. David and his dynasty, those following him, were supposed to be the highest kings ever, but they turned from God, and the time of the Gentiles was put into place because the kings of Israel were rebelling against God and rebelling against God. Then Nebuchadnezzar took that title, took that title. At the end of times, at the end of times, a stone will strike the image and the image's dominion will once again return to a man seated on the throne of David. That name is Jesus the Christ, who is the only true potentate, the only true king. He is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords and his kingdom will come soon. Now, I know this is confusing. Stick with me, because we'll go through some reviews here. If this was a Sunday school class, we would make it past this point. History has proven Daniel to be true. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, all happened as promised. All of them dominated Jerusalem, the time of the Gentiles, as Jerusalem will be trotted down by the Gentiles until Messiah comes. And that is what has happened. Right up until now, Jerusalem is trotted down by the Gentiles. The Jews don't have full rule of Jerusalem. It's broken up into four quarters. H.A. Ironside says this. Now listen to this. Zone back in for just a second, because this is important. At the time of Nebuchadnezzar's, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed his dream, the Persian kingdom did not exist. It didn't even exist. Persia was but a Babylonian province. A Grecian empire might have seemed utterly impossible. The Hellenistic or Greek states were a lot of warring tribes and kingdoms giving little promise for their future greatness. This is at the time when Daniel's given this this prophecy, this vision. The city of Rome was just being founded, an insignificant little village on the banks of the Tiber River. God showed Daniel this is going to be a kingdom in the future, stronger than all of them. The God of heaven revealed this. Folks, we are living today in this fourth empire, the Roman rule empire. This continues to today. The following is taken out of Arnold Fruchtenbaum's footsteps of Messiah. He says this, the fourth empire continues into today. Rome has five phases. Phase number one is the united phase. That's what you typically think about Rome and old Roman culture. It's grandeur. Then there's the two division stage, the two legs. That is happening presently. That is where we are today. More on that in just a second. The next thing that will come is a one world governments phase that will not work, a world utopia. Now, I want to suggest to you something. This world utopia is an attempt, again, by humanity to save the world. They think they're going to save the world by this one world government. This goes back a long time. I don't know if you remember this. Most of you here probably won't, but in 1971, Coke had a theme song. Drink Coke. I like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. I like to buy the world of Coke and keep it company. It's the real thing. We were being indoctrinated into this all the way back into 1970s, folks. Listen to John Lennon's song, Imagine. Listen to this. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries, no borders. See, It isn't hard to do nothing to kill or die for, and no religion too. See, the religion is the problem. God is the problem. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say, I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us, and the world will be as one. This indoctrination has been going on for decades, and we are crescendoing right now. The hope of mankind without God is a one-world utopia, and God says they're going to get it, and it will not work. It will fail. This utopia, number four, will break down the the ten-kingdom stage, which will then be broken in by the Antichrist, and the Antichrist will rule as a one-world, fully imperialistic ruler. And then that will be broken into by Messiah, the Messianic kingdom, The kingdom of stone crushes the Antichrist, and that'll be in the future. Now, I want to give you an overhead, just so you can come back in, to review what Arnold Fruchtenbaum has said. You don't have to read all this little stuff here, but just the united phase, the united stage here, was when Rome was at its peak. The two-division stage, which I'm going to elucidate on, or make clear here in just a second, this goes right to the present time. There's an east-west power balance. You've heard those words before, east and west. The one world government phase is next. The ten kingdom phase will follow. And Antichrist is going to break into this. He's going to kill three of the, he's going to subdue three of the kingdoms. That's for another time. And then Jesus will come back and establish his messianic kingdom and crush Antichrist's kingdom. He'll be able to rule for three and a half years of total dominion in the world. And then Jesus is coming back. That's how this whole program plays out. So, now I want to elaborate on the two-division stage since that's where we are today. Did you know that? Did anybody realize this? This was, when I, when I went through the study in the book of Revelation with Arnold Fruchtenbaum, this was all revelatory to me. So I'm, maybe you're getting something from this too. So the fourth empire, the two-division stage continues to today. How in the world did it get started? Well, it's a stage that began in A.D. 364 with the emperor Valetian. And he had this great idea about the divided East-West Empire. The Western Roman Empire was headquartered in Rome. The Eastern Empire was in Constantinople. These were the two ruling powers of the world. Now, what do we have today? We have an East-West block today. An East-West Bloc today, China, Russia, the Islamic countries, Turkey, Iran, Iraq, that sort of thing, would be an East Bloc. The West Bloc would be the United States, Canada, Europe, Australia, and even Israel is becoming more and more of a world-type power with its technology and nuclear capabilities. So the centers of balance of power may shift again. The countries may change whoever is in this East and West Bloc. But the concept doesn't. It will remain essentially an east-west balance until it gives way to a third stage, which will be the one world government. That's what is coming. That is what's being set up. You see that in our newspapers today. A one world government borders down, everybody becoming one. We see this being promoted very strongly today. And that will, that will fail. That'll be, the one world government stage will fail. And I believe there's going to be ruling divisions Daniel 7.23 gives us some clarification on this. This is kind of hard to pull out, but Arnold Fruchtebaum actually does this. Daniel 7.23 says this. Thus he said, the fourth beast, which is what? What, what? what nation? Rome. Okay, let's do it again. The fourth beast is what? Rome. Okay. A fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all the other kingdoms. Mm and shall devour the whole earth. I want to suggest to you that the Roman Empire never devoured the whole earth, never dominated the whole earth. They never conquered Scotland, and they didn't conquer the Parthians. They were stopped. And they'll trample and break it into pieces. Then the next, that's going to be the one world government. The ten horns—that's going to break down to the ten horns or ten kings. So, with that concept, just just keep that. It are going to be ruling divisions. The world's going to have a one-world ruler or one-world rule, and I and I think it's going to be kind of like the United Nations. And this is kind of this is interesting in that the United Nations have already broken the world into different ten divisions, ten economic unions. This is already being talked about, and it's interesting that they've broken down into ten, just like the Bible says. They have no clue what the Bible says. They're not trying to be in in, in conjunction with the Scripture, but this is how they've broken it down. So that's kind of interesting. Antichrist is going to to break into this thing more on that in just a second. So the next phase will be the ten-nation confederation phase. The feet are part clay, part iron. It won't last. It breaks down into these ten nations. Now. These ten nations are going to rule, but it's going to be weak. It's going to be weak. And Antichrist is going to break into this. The weakness of the one-world government, which I think is broken down into ten different areas, allows the Antichrist to assume control by force. A one-world imperial government will be established. Antichrist will demand worship and allegiance. And you know what he's going to do to demand the worship and allegiance? He's going to insist that his followers take a mark. Now, this mark of the beast, this mark of the beast that we talk about in Revelation chapter 13, is actually a copycat of the sealing of the Holy Spirit that a believer gets when he's saved. See, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit for ownership. Antichrist is going to copy this. Satan's going to copy this with this mark of the beast. It says this in Revelation 13, 16, He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or name of the beast or the number of his name. He's going to insist on allegiance. If you do not submit to him, you will be murdered. You will be killed. You will be killed. So the ten division stage is going to be established. And then Antichrist is going to be a great political ruler. He's going to be a great military ruler. He's going to see these things are in place. He's going to say, hey, I'm going to take over this thing. Because they're not all that strong. They're not mingling well together. He's going to burst into this, and he's going to subdue three of those ten kingdoms. Three of the ten kingdoms are going to say, no, we aren't doing that. And he's going to have power, and he's going to overcome them. He'll overcome them. So that is what we're looking at in the future. The next thing on the agenda is a one-world government. This thing will turn into ten ruling divisions. Then it will become Antichrist, bursting into these ten ruling divisions, subduing three, and be- he'll become the eighth horn, but that's a different talk for a different time. And he will rule with absolute authority, until Jesus comes back and crushes the feet. Verse 44 through 45, Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, will come back and rule, and what a relief. In the days of these kings, plural, these ten ten ruling divisions, in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. No one else is going to rise up as humans and, and rule this earth. When Je- after Jesus comes back. It'll just be his kingdom. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw the stone was cut out of the mountain. Mount, I think it's the God- cut out of the mountain, the Godhead, without hands. And it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, decimated all, all of man's kingdoms. The great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. Look at Daniel wrote decades to thousands of years before this thing has come to fruition. Persia wasn't a, a kingdom. Greece wasn't even thought about, and Tiberius was just a little village by a river. And yet he predicted these things, and they came about just as he said. Do you not think? that these other things are going to happen, just as he said, a one-world government, a ten-world division, antichrist usurping power, and then Jesus coming back to establish his authority on earth. Yes, this is going to happen just as it has been depicted in Scripture. We can count on it. So, this fifth empire will not be a Gentile, but a Jewish empire. Two prominent symbols are used here. A stone which is used symbolically of the second person of the Trinity. Remember, Jesus is, is the cornerstone. We see it in Second Peter. We see in Ephesians chapter 2, he is the cornerstone. We see in, in Matthew chapter 16, upon this rock, I will build my church. It is not on Peter he will build his church. He builds the church on himself, the bedrock, not Petra, not a little teeny, teeny, teeny rock that, that Peter's name stands for. But the bedrock, the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the stone. And then the mountain that is spoken up here always talks about kingdoms or kings and ruling. And I love this picture. Jesus comes back. Guess who's with him? We're coming back with him. And there's nothing left of all the kingdoms of this world that thought they were so great and so wonderful. Satan's schemes are coming, collapsing right before his eyes, crushed and Jesus will reign forever and ever. Now, let's summarize this. Daniel saw Babylon fall. Okay, they had 70 years of rule. He saw them fall, and he saw the Persian Empire come to fruition. And he even excelled in the Persian Empire. He, he And he prophesied about Greece and Rome that would be future. Folks, God is at the helm steering the ship. It looks like everything is out of order and it's chaotic and that sort of thing. That's because the God of this age is doing his thing. But behind the scenes, the true God is reigning and everything is happening on schedule. He is the one that rules. A one world government will arise and it will fail. It will fail. A ten-nation confederation will arise and that will then be broken into by the Antichrist, and Antichrist will usurp power and establish his imperial worldwide kingdom. And then Jesus Christ will crush, pulverize Antichrist's kingdom and will establish his thousand-year millennial kingdom, followed by the eternal order. Everything, and I mean everything, is proceeding on schedule. Look at God rules. Satan thinks he's got his thing going. He just gets checked every time he makes a move. Check, check, and when that stone comes down, check, mate. You've made your last move. You've made your last move. Finally, in verse 46 through 49, Nebuchadnezzar's response be the same as our response. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, who represented... God, the God of heaven, and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel, gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also Daniel petitioned the king and set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as friends over the affairs of the, Babylon, uh, of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. You know what that means? He was in the king's court. He was right there with Nebuchadnezzar helping him rule. Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and recognized the true God. And I can tell you from history, this is a first. Nebuchadnezzar never bowed before anyone. He was the king of all the kings that ever existed but yet he respects this little Hebrew slave because of what he did and what God allowed him to do. Nebuchadnezzar's language is, he's blown away by Daniel's interpretation. He still does not recognize God as his God. See, he says to Daniel, it's your God, Daniel. It's your God. See, it's important that God becomes your God, that is personalized. And the only way he can become your God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. No other way. No other way. Slowly but surely, Nebuchadnezzar is learning about the true God. The king appreciated the wisdom of Daniel, but he had no heart for the God of Daniel yet. Daniel's was promoted again. He's given favor by the king. He sits in the gate of the king, and he's in the king's court, but he didn't forget his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they were promoted. What a guy Daniel is. I don't know who, who wrote this, but this is a quote from somebody who I don't know his name. So one man said, that's what people usually say, what a, what a radical change from almost slain with the wise men to, to an all-powerful ruler over the wise men at age 17. While clearly this is a reflection of the providential, sovereign, good hand of the Lord watching over his children, the children did their part in that they prayed. They prayed. See, we have a part. God God could have taken care of this whole thing on his own. He could have just done away with Nebuchadnezzar. But he uses us in his plan. And prayer is a big part of that. Prayer is a big part of that. And I don't think we'll ever know how important prayer was until we get to heaven. And we see, oh, Lord, I see what you did with that. What an amazing thing. In conclusions, God's dream for the ages. And we have went through quite a sequence of events here a dream, a threat by by Nebuchadnezzar to kill all the wise men. In interpretation, the future was revealed and Nebuchadnezzar is blown away, and I would suggest so are we. He's being introduced to the God of heaven. I hope you have been introduced to the God of heaven, the true God that reigns, the true sovereign ruler of heaven and earth. We are privy to world events, folks, that are foretold decades, hundreds, the thousands of years in advance. When this ten-nation confederation comes out, it's thousands of years that will have transpired between Daniel's prophecy and it coming to fruition. On the horizon, a one-world government setting the stage for this is globalism, border issues, climate control, economic and political instability, earthquakes, the world on the brink of who knows what's going to happen next. Don't Don't you kind of have that feeling? Who in the world now what's going to happen next? These events are driving the world to a one-world government. This will happen. You know why? God said so. And it won't work. You know why? God said so. Antichrist will rise to power and rule the entire world. You know why? God said so. All right. And the vast majority will fall for the lies of the Antichrist. Why are they going to fall? God said they would. They didn't believe the truth. And Jesus will return to establish his kingdom. Why do we believe that? God said so. And by the way, there's a whole movement in Christendom that we're going to usher in the kingdom of God. It's called the Dominion Theology, or it's called the New Apostolic Reformation. And in that movement, there are prophets that are rising up. There are apostles that are rising up. And this is a this is, this is control thing. Okay? This is, I am, I'm a prophet. I'm an apostle. I, listen to what I have to say. Oh no! Oh no! Those things, those things are past. Those there are no more apostles of Christ or apostles of the church, which just simply means apostolos just means sent one, someone to establish a ministry. But prophets, like in the past, where God speaks ex cathedra to the prophet and the prophet speaking to the people. I'm not saying that God can't do that today, but He speaks to us, folks. It says in Hebrews chapter one, what does He say? In the past, He spoke through the prophets. Now he speaks to us through his Son. He speaks to us through his Word. That's where we learn about our God. So there's a whole bunch of this that's, ha- that's happening today. Don't fall for it. it. makes you feel like you got the power. You're going to usher in the kingdom of God. Oh, no, you've just seen what's going to happen. John Corson says this about this whole thing. Concerning Jesus, the rock of our salvation, we either are broken before him or will be broken by him. Remember that rock. The choice is ours. There are those who say the kingdom will be ushered in as Christians change the economic, political, and educational systems. That is, we'll bring the king back by changing America, changing the world, and making it better and suitable for God to come back, ushering in the kingdom. Corson says, that is heresy. As seen in Daniel, the stone doesn't come to convert the kingdoms of the world, It comes to crush them. All those who have rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected Jesus Christ. It comes instantaneously, explosively, catechismically, and all the empires, the great image of gold, silver, brass, iron, are wiped out in a moment. Folks, the king is coming. This is our time. This is the time for humans to get serious and say, I believe you, Jesus. I believe you died for my sins. This is, this is your time. This is our time right here, right now. But there will be a time when God says, no more. And the world will have turned away from him so much, and the Antichrist will establish his kingdom, and he goes, no mas. And he comes back, and he crushes Antichrist's kingdom. It will be past time then. Once he comes back, that's it. This is our time. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, folks, and you're not sure, you're not sure, make it sure. Make it sure. Simply believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins. Repentance is required. You, you turn from your old ways. You go towards Jesus Christ. And you live for Him. Actually live for Him. He's worth it. <laughs> he is worth it. Yes. Folks, we are... F- Finally this, we're living in a unique time known as the last days. And I believe personally that we are in the very last of the last days. So it is imperative. Keep studying. Keep studying. Don't grow weary in this thing. Keep watching, folks. The king is coming. The king is coming. At a time when you least expect it, Jesus is coming to establish his kingdom. And guess what? We don't know when we're going to get taken out of here. We might get taken out of here before the kingdom comes. At any moment, he can come and get us. It's your time is up. Prepare to meet thy God. That is what the scripture said. So be ready. Be ready for the king. He's coming to establish his kingdom. Maranatha. Maranatha, even so come, Lord Jesus. That is the cry of the church. Even so come, Lord Jesus. This is God's dream for the ages, folks. It is for, It was for Nebuchadnezzar. It is for you today to know the signs of the times. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. And Lord, we're so grateful that you gave us this. You've given us insight into what has happened in the past, the things that came to fruition throughout history. And because these things came to fruition, Lord, we can trust that you're going to carry this all the way out to the end, Just like you said. So, Lord, we put our trust in you, our God. And I pray today, Father, that if someone here does not know you as their Savior, oh, this is the day, they say, no more. I believe in you, Jesus. I want to be part of your kingdom. I receive you as my Savior. I'm going to walk in newness of life and change kingdoms, change kings. I'm coming into your family, Lord, because you died for me that I might have life. And not just life, but life abundantly. That's what you promised us, Lord. So, Lord, thank you for this study. Thank you for this time. Holy Spirit, please do your work in each heart that's here. You've spoken to each person here uniquely. Take it seriously what God has said to you today. In Jesus' name, amen.